0: You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the 127th Psalm. Last night, most of the night, I was tossing and turning up and down, unable to sleep. I think part of it is this past week has just been an unbelievable week. Um, it seems like just a lot of people are hurting. My kids told me that I would love the iPhone. <laughs> I haven't fallen in love with it yet. But I have learned this, that it, it, it helps me stay in contact with people that are hurting. Um, And there are a lot of people that are hurting. And so last night I was up up and down through the night and and knowing that we were beginning today this this series that will last an entire year on the home. And, And I want you to understand this, that that when I say the home, don't think, well, you know, I'm going to be left out. This is going to be about marriage sermons and raising kids and all of that. This is going to be every dimension of the home, okay? This is going to be how to handle your finances. It's going to be uh, learning spiritual principles about finances and how to apply those to your life. It will be parenting. We will be talking about marriage, but we're going to be talking about the home and how every person in this room... You have a home. Now, uh, I want you to understand this. Years ago when we went overseas, Sheila... We, we were selling everything. We, we, we sold our vehicles, so we didn't have no way to get around. We, our home, everything was liquidated. All of our assets were liquidated. We were actually having garage sales, getting rid of everything. And so over a period of time, we just literally came down to just the bare essentials. We just had a little bit of luggage, and that's how we were getting ready to go to Zimbabwe and a few crates, which still had a few things. But anyway, Sheila, I will never forget, she had a carving that said Jesus. It was just a carving, almost cursive writing, and it was the name of Jesus. And she held it up as we were getting in the van. And she said, wherever I put this, that's home. And I want you to know something from that moment on. Wherever we saw that, as a family, that was home. Sometimes we would put it in our van, because we didn't have nothing else, and so we would say, the van... Our, our vehicle until we got rid of it, until we turned it over. That was home. Then wherever we'd go, we went to the missionary learning center there for seven weeks. We put it up there and we in that little apartment we stayed in. We said, that's home. We even had it on the airplane. We had a 21-hour flight. And we said, this is home. When we got to Johannesburg, South Africa, and we were there for a, a, a period of time, We put it there and we said, this is home. And finally we got to Zimbabwe in a strange culture and a strange language and strange people and everything was unfamiliar and we had none of our stuff and we felt we would cry many a day but we would look at that carving and we would say, but this is home. I want you to understand where Jesus is. That's where home ought to be. And I want you to understand this, that home, when I say home... I'm talking to every person in this room. You may be a single person living in in an apartment. I want you to know something. That's your home. And we're going to talk about how to make that home strong. You may be a single parent who gets the kids every other weekend and you're struggling in that situation. And you may say, well, you know, do I have a home? Yes, you have a home. And I want every person in this room to understand that as we begin this series, we are talking about how you and I can make our home. Now, here it is. Listen to this. How we can make our home a home that we want to come home to. I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn to the Psalms and I want you to look at Psalm 127 today. Psalm 127. Because we've got a theme through this year, and the theme is this, Psalm 127, verse 1. And we're going to look at that, because I want you to see that. Now, before I begin, let me say this. In our Christmas Day service... I had, a, I had a South African couple who came up to me. She came up just as soon as the service was over with, and her and her husband, sharp couple, and she just took my hand and she said, the harvest is coming. She said, I want you to understand this. I have come from the other side of the world to say to you and to this church that a harvest is coming. Now, I want you to know something. When I heard that, I took that to heart. And this year, we're going to be communicating across this city and across the Metro Jackson area who we are and what we are about and the fact that God has His hands. You know, a moment ago, Jeffrey said, he said, we feel the presence of the Lord, and we do feel the presence of the Lord. I've watched him. He can hardly use this finger. And I watched him trying to cord and protect that finger And I want you to know something, all of us are going to be required this year to make some sacrifices, and some of them may be painful. But anyway, this is the year of the home, and for the goal of this year, and your goal and my goal is this, that we will build the kind of home that we want to come home to. Because I want you to know something, there are a lot of people today who have a home and they don't even want to go home to it. Think about that for a moment. So here we are, we're going to look and, and, and try to identify. What we're trying to do is identify biblical principles, things out of God's Word that you and I can hang our hat on and then we can put into practice and we can make ourselves ac- accountable. In other words, what I want you to do this year is I want you to take notes. I want you, as we walk through the Scripture, to identify some spiritual principles and say, man, that's how you build a strong home. And so I'm going to do that. I'm going to incorporate that into my life. And I'm going to to make myself accountable to somebody. Now, hear me. If you and I are going to make any kind of lasting changes, then we're going to have to involve other people. We're going to be looking at home builders groups. In other words, we're going to gather in different homes and we're going to come together as couples and families, as singles, as single parents, and we're going to talk about not only these spiritual principles, but how we can strengthen our homes and make them better homes. So today, this is our verse. This is the verse for the whole year. It's Psalm 127, verse 1. And it says this, now we're going to go through this whole psalm, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Now I want us to think about that for a moment because here we have Solomon and some would say, well, did Solomon write this? These are called Psalms of the Ascent. In other words, there's at least five Psalms of the Ascent. In other words, what the Hebrew people would do when they were making their way to the temple when they were going during these times of festivity, these festivals, often what they would do, they would sing these songs as they were making their way as a family, as they were making a way, their way in, in this journey, as they were going to Jerusalem and up to the temple. And so this is one of those songs. Now, you may have in your Bible that this was written by Solomon, and that's true. But I believe it came out of the mouth of David. In other words, David, the father of Solomon, simply said to Solomon, he said, Solomon, listen, I have made all the provisions for you. You know how old Solomon was when he took over for his father David? He was 19 years old. David, this warrior, listen, he had gone through, he had defeated the enemies of Israel, he had brought peace time to Israel. Things had begun to settle down. And it wasn't long before David realizes that he's about to die. And so he calls Solomon in, this 19-year-old kid, and he says to Solomon, he says, Solomon, listen, for the first time in a long time in the nation of Israel, things are at peace. You remember, David wanted to build the temple, but God said, you can't because there's what? There's too much blood on your hands. David, I can't let you do this. Let Solomon, your son, build it. And so David brings Solomon to his deathbed, and he says to Solomon, he says, Solomon, there's peace time now. I've worked it out. God's used me as that vehicle to bring peace. And Solomon, I've not only done this, guess what David did? He brought all the materials together. And he said, David, now listen. Though I've made all these provisions and all this preparation, David, understand this. You can see this aged old warrior pulling Solomon, this 19-year-old kid down close to him, and he says, Solomon, understand this. Unless the Lord builds it, you're laboring in vain. So he tells him this psalm. Look at verse 1 again. He says, Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. I want you to understand something. If you want a home, and a lot of you here in this room, you think, you know, if I can just find somebody. A lot of times as a single, you get desperate. You think, if I can just find somebody. If I can just, listen, to, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this one. If I can just hurry up and settle down. Wow. My friend, I want you to know something. If you're here and you're unmarried and you want to hurry up and settle down, you are going to make a tragic mistake. Because it may be God's will for you to remain unsettled. It may be God's will for you to remain single. But so often what drives young people is, I've got to hurry up, I've got to settle down, I've got to get somebody and get me a home and I've got to hurry up and have children before I get to old. Boy, there's a danger in that. Now I want you to know something. What the psalmist is saying, there's nothing wrong with building a home. You see, that's almost natural for us. It's, it's the worthwhile thing. In fact, this past week we had a homeless man who came and he came to the door and he came around to that door because Jeff uh, Ainsworth and some of them were doing some work there and he came around to this door and he finally said to me, he said, listen, I live in an abandoned house down here. All the windows are busted out. And he said, somebody came in and stole everything that I have. And he said, can you help me with a jacket? So we went down and I went down. I began to pilfer around in there. We found him a jacket, began to find some socks, began to find a few things, and found him an old couple of covers, old comforter, and, a, and another cover, and gave that to him. And man, he was so appreciative. But I want you to know something. His problem was that he felt as if he was homeless. I remember years ago, Bert Case came to do a story here at Thanksgiving. And I said, Bert, why don't you go with Red? Well, Red lived for that at that time 19 years under the bridge in the deep curve there of I-20. And so Red took Bert, Bert Case and took a com- cameraman and they went down, they went up under that bridge. I had been under that bridge before. In fact, one time when I went up under there, Red was proud of it. Hear this homeless man say, come here, I want to show you where I live. We climbed up into that, up under that bridge. We crawled up over under that concrete and we went into that little compartment up under that bridge, and there was a bed. There was this stuff laid neatly. There was a little kerosene-like lamp. There were books laying there, and it was made up probably a lot nicer in some of your bedrooms. I remember another time when we went up under a bridge over here on the frontage road. We got up under that bridge. Me and Tim Chennault, we were up under that bridge one day. and We met a man there. He was a CPA accountant. He was the second African-American to graduate from Ole Miss as a CPA. We went up under there. His bed was made. His, His utensils for cooking were laid off to the side, neatly arranged there, had been washed and left there to dry. He had newspapers laid out as if you were in a doctor's waiting room. I sat there with him and I began to look at him. I said, I said, man, how did you end up here? As I began to understand his education, his gifts and abilities. He said, My wife went off, ran off with another man. And when she did, she took my six-year-old boy. And he said, Brother Jeff, be honest with you, I never got over it. He said, I went to Atlanta. I tried to start all over. He said, I ended up on the streets. And I said, man, if I'm going to be on the streets, I might as well go back home. You see, it's natural for you and I want to, to want to build a home. And so here the writer Solomon is saying, this wise man is saying, and these are probably the words of his, of, of his father David, he's saying, listen, unless the Lord builds the home, unless He builds the house, you're going to labor in vain if you try to do it. You mean to tell me that the God of the universe, the Creator of the universe, is worried about my home? You better believe it. Because the home is the DNA of our society. This country today is unstable because of the instability of the home. And so the writer here, Solomon, is saying, he's reiterating the words of his father. He's saying to you and I, he's saying, listen, if you're serious, if you want to build a home, and you want to build a home that will last, you want to build the kind of home that people will want to come home to, that your children will want to come home to, that your spouse will want to come home to, then you need to understand, I need to understand, God needs to be the contractor of that home. You see, unless the Lord builds, can I ask you something? Has the Lord been building your home? Now, I didn't say house. A house is not a home. If you don't hear anything else today, hear that. A house is not a home. Okay? I I, I was looking at one of the financial gurus, and he said that 40% of the annual income, you should not go over 40% of your annual income to, to own a home i thought to myself man if we did that we'd be at the creek but a house is not a home now a lot of us in this room some of you in this room you live and breathe to build your house you 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 take great pride in your house. You you uh, spend a lot of time on it and the upkeep and the and, and you spend a lot of your income and you do a lot of things to to keep your house up, and you may be a single here and you may say, Well, that doesn't that, that doesn't count for me, but you may be living in a high scale upper end apartment where you've got all of the fringe benefits and all of the perks and the privileges, and you are not able to do the things that God would have you to do because you're strapped by the rent that you're paying every month. A house payment, or whatever it may be. Just so you know we serve a great God, let me tell you what he told me to tell you now. This is my sermon. I'll pick it up on the way out. There's sometimes you don't want to say things because you think, God, I really don't want to do that today. I really just want it to be a nice, polished sermon and everybody just have a good experience. And maybe you walk out and you say, Brother Jeff, it was a a good sermon. You did a great job. Or you just feel good about it yourself. But if I do that, I'll be disobeying the Lord. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to tell you what God wanted me to tell you, and then we're going to have the invitation, and then I'm not going to the front door. Okay? God God is very upset, concerned, grieved. heart is breaking over the state of the home today. Okay, that's, first, that's number one. God is grieved over not only the state of the home, but the state of relationships. Okay, now let me explain something here. And this is where I'm going to get into trouble. We live in a country today where promiscuity is just everything. Everybody's just sleeping around with everybody else. And our attitude is, is that we can just be in and out of relationships. In this relationship, get out of it. In this relationship, get out of it. In and out of relationships. And what we'll do is we'll gather and we'll say, oh, what a mighty God in love. You, you, God, you love us and you, and, you, and you forgive us. And God, you cleanse us. And God, where sin abounds, grace doth much more abound. And, and, and God, we just love you and we just praise you. But listen to me. What grieves the heart of God is this. God does forgive you. But I want you to know some of the People that are in and out of one marriage after another, in and out of one relationship after another, people that are just living and compromising moral convictions, biblical principles for the sake of relationship, you are breaking the heart of God. And that's what's breaking the heart of God in this country. Okay, I really didn't want to say this. Some of you young people are already dangerously compromising some things that you can never get back. And you may, say, you may say to yourself, well, you know, God forgives me. That's right. Hear me. If you don't hear anything else, hear me. God does forgive you. Whatever your past is, you're right. God forgives. Man, listen, God will forgive. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, God says I'll forgive it. I'll forgive it and I'll forget it. But listen, hear me. The repercussions. My wife used to tell three-year-olds bad choices, lead to bad consequences. You made some bad choices. You see, we have a loving Father. Let me tell you what God does. God will forgive. God will forgive you. No matter what's in your past, no matter what you've done, listen, God will forgive you. If you hear, listen, understand that. God not only will forgive you, but listen, there's another principle in Scripture and nobody's preaching it anymore. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Listen, God's grace will never interfere with that. Okay? Sin is like a seed. When you plant it, you have to reap whatever it produces, no matter what it is. And you may say, see, God will forgive you for the act, the planting of the seed, but God will not remove the crop that comes from the seed, because that's a scriptural principle. So you may say, well, wait a minute. Well, what does God want me to do? This is what God wants you to do. God wants you to say, that act, what I did was wrong. I wish I had not have sown that seed. God, I did it. God, I confess. That means to agree with God. God, I confess. I agree with you that I did that. I wish I hadn't have done that. And then it's looking at God and saying, God, I ask you to cleanse me. I ask you to forgive me. Now watch this. If you are a child of God, this is what God does. Watch this. You watching? Nod your head if you're watching. This is what God does. Once you and I repent of an act that has grieved his heart, then this is what God does. God says, okay. Now let's, let's see what we can do with this crop. And God will take a bad crop and now he will turn it into your Testimony. Because in Psalm fifty-one, David told David said this. He said, "God, if you will forgive me of sleeping with Bathsheba and murdering Uriah, God, this sin is ever before me. But and I can't sing anymore. I can't worship anymore, God. I'm a I'm a psalm writer and a psalm singer, but God, you've taken my joy away. If you'll restore the joy of my salvation, God says, I tell you what, David, we'll do it. But you and I got to make a deal right here, David." I'll cleanse you, David, but you teach transgressors thy ways. Okay, now understand this. You and I today have become so flippant about relationships, about marriage, about home, about children, and about all of that. The home is where children, the home is where relationships are nurtured. Your relationship with God, your relationships with each other. When you and I become flippant about relationships, we start using people. Guy sleeps with this girl, sleeps with this girl. Girl sleeps with this guy, sleeps with this guy. And before long, relationships begin to break down and, and, and seed are sown and crops are coming. And you may say, well, God forgives. Yes, God forgives. But let me say something else. He will never erase the consequences of the choices that we make because if he did, we would never learn. The only way I learn that something is wrong and has grieved the heart of God is when I begin to reap the consequences of that choice and I say, God, this has hurt me. It's hurt so many people. It's hurt you, God. God, this has just grieved my heart like it's grieved yours. God, forgive me. Let me learn from this God so that I can teach others so God knows they won't do the same thing. Some of you young men and young women in this room, you know what your thought is? I can sleep around, I can do what I want. There's not a cost to be paid. There is very much a cost to be paid. Sex outside of marriage is sex outside of marriage is sin. It is wrong. It is adultery. It's fornication. It grieves the heart of God because, see, marriage is the best picture of His relationship with His bride, the church. And I want you to know something. The Bible says God is very jealous about that relationship. And so when you and I compromise or when we do things like this, it grieves the heart of God and there's a crop coming. And you may think, well, you know, I'll meet a guy one day and he'll forgive me you don't hear anything else, you hear this one. You may meet a man or a woman that will forgive you. Girls, let me have the girls' attention. If you're promiscuous and you've slept around and one day you meet a young man and you fall in love with him, if I marry you, you'll have to tell him before I'll perform the ceremony. Okay? And when you tell him let me tell you what will happen. You will either break his heart and he will weep and cry. He may beat the wall. We don't know what he may do. Or either he'll look at you and go and smile and say, I love you anyway and that's all right. I'm going to get in trouble with this. Some of you won't come back. Don't marry the second one. Don't marry him. Because if he loves you, he'll be grieved down to the depth of his soul. His heart will be broken. He will have to work through the process of God bringing him through the agony and the remorse and all of that of learning how to love you. And if you're a young man here and you say, I can sleep around, some young men brag about it nowadays. They joke around about how many women they've slept with. I can tell you one thing. That man will stand before a holy God and, give, and he will give an account of that. Young men that go around sleeping around are no more than a stray dog. And God will deal with them in time. I want you to understand God is grieved over the state of sex and sexual relationships and relationships in general. It grieves the heart of God. And you and I can't live ungodly, immoral lives and count on the fact that God's grace will cover that and there'll be no crop to bear. That crop will come. And there'll come a day when you break a man's heart, you break a woman's heart, because you're going to have to tell them the truth. God's concerned about the home. God's concerned about relationships. This past week, my daughter... She's a smart young lady, dentist. She's smart. This past week she looked at me and said, Dad, we were talking about the home, marriage. She said, Dad, it used to be we were always talking about 50% divorce rate, 50% divorce rate. She said, Dad, maybe we're beginning as a nation to reap the consequences of that now. Can God forgive? Yes. But if you're here today as a young person and you're thinking to yourself, I can live morally the way I want to live and God will forgive me. My friend, I want you to know something. Young people, singles, I want you to know this. And some of you that are single again, I want you to know something. There is a high cost to that kind of thinking. And I want to invite you today to leave that thinking behind as we begin this journey on the home. Hey, I don't feel too good right now. I've got sweat pouring off of me. I'm nervous. I want to hurry up and leave. But you and I need to understand the high cost of sin. And we need as a people of God to begin to realize that I am married to Jesus Christ And because I'm married to Jesus Christ, I'm going to be faithful to Him in every area of my life. That's not only in my actions, that's in my thought, that's in my heart, that's in every part of me. Anytime I do anything, anytime I compromise the Word of God, anytime I begin to compromise and begin to get pulled into the world, into the things of the world, and I begin to have the thinking of the world, it grieves the heart of God. God's brokenhearted over that. Do you know Christ today? I'm going to ask you with heads bowed and with eyes closed just to stand for a moment. People who know me, people who know me would say that what he did today is nothing like he normally does on any given Sunday. But I've been up most of the night. I had to tell you what God put on my heart. How you receive it is is left up to you. You may not come back. That's understandable. We've learned. I've learned to preach to empty pews. I'm getting pretty good at it. And uh, hey, and let me tell you something else. When I get tired of preaching empty pews, I just go down the street corner down here and preach. And I learned that uh, one gang has this part, and one gang has that part, and there's criminals all back here. Somebody's telling me that this morning. So I got a pretty good audience when I go down there and preach. But I want, you to take, I want you to bow for a moment. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to You. and Lord, this has not been polished. I'm sweating. I'm nervous. Wow, I didn't want to do this, Lord. But Lord, I've been up all night. Lord, I've been praying not for days, not for weeks, but dear Lord, I've been praying for months. Dear Lord, Your heart is broken. Your heart is broken, dear Lord, over singles who sleep around. Your heart is broken over single parents who, dear Lord, are spending all their time looking for a mate. Men that have a child to raise or a daughter, son to raise, women who have a son or a daughter to raise, single parents, dear Lord, that are more concerned over their dating than they are, dear Lord, the responsibility of the child that you've entrusted to the children you've entrusted into their care. Dear Lord, Southside is not a hot place to meet singles. It's just a church, dear Lord, that's planted on the edge of need, that's trying to reach out to the hurting and the broken lives of people. But dear Lord, today as we begin this journey, you've asked me to be honest with this congregation and I've done that. And so Lord, I pray today of their singles here that dear Lord are compromising morally and biblically and spiritually. Dear Lord, they're doing things that they know deep down in their heart. Dear Lord, your grace may cover, your grace may forgive. But, dear Lord, one day, someday, they'll look at the eyes of somebody they love deeply and they'll have to say, I'm sorry, I've hurt you. Some people ad- commit adultery in marriage, some commit adultery before they marry. So dear Lord, I pray dear Lord for the single young men and young women in this room and single parents and and singles today that dear Lord, they may make a fresh commitment to be faithful to their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That dear Lord, there would be no more compromise. That, dear Lord, even our society and even our world, as it slips farther and farther into this sexual revolution, this freedom that we call ourselves having, it's actually bondage. I pray, dear Lord, for married men and women, dear Lord, who may be caught up in pornography, that may be caught up in a relationship right now, may be flirting in the office, It it may be something, dear Lord, very general, very simple, but, dear Lord, it grieves your heart. Men that are in this room, dear Lord, that have no filter on their laptop, they're looking at things on their phone, they're looking at things in their computer that should not. Men and women in this room who sit in a theater and pay $10 to watch other men and women sleep with one another. Dear Lord, we have become so indifferent, so apathetic, we are a nation that, dear Lord, as Ruth Graham said, if you, uh, if you, dear Lord, spare us, you'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. We have greed, your heart. We cannot build homes like this. So, dear Lord, bring us to repentance. You don't desire prayer. You don't desire fasting. You desire repentance. Repentance comes before revival. So, dear Lord, speak to our hearts bring brokenness to us and we'll give you the praise in the name of Jesus we pray